couple of weeks ago, I, I read an article about a 19th century physician named Thomas Mueller, an American physician, who was pushing for innovations at that time in medicine. Uh, he introduced and promoted the use of anesthesia before surgery. And he also advocated for hand washing. This was innovative at the time, and one of Mueller's colleagues vehemently rejected these innovations. He said about anesthesia, God put people on the earth to suffer. This is the way it's been. This is the way it should be. And then he said, when it came to hand washing, he said this is preposterous that a doctor would spread disease because a gentleman's hands are always clean. But Muter, and we thank God for this, won the day. But I bring this uh, illustration up just to make the basic point that we all know that change is hard. Innovation is hard, and especially the change that challenges our identity or some of our long-held beliefs. In our Gospel reading, Jesus denounces the religious leaders of His day for not changing. These religious leaders were the, the highest religious leaders in Judaism at the time. They were to Judaism what uh, our Supreme Court is to the legal system today. So these were at the top of the religious echelon. And Jesus is critiquing them because God is at work. God is at work among them. God had been at work in the ministry of John the Baptist. God had been wor at work in Jesus' ministry God was doing things, and yet these religious leaders were obstinate and stubborn, and they would not change. Jesus says, you would not change your mind. They resisted change by making two moves. And I think that these moves that they've made to kind of wiggle out from under what God was wanting to do are the same things that people do today. First, they did not seek the truth. They really set the whole issue of truth aside. They bracketed the notion of truth. And second, they weren't willing to see their own faults and to repent. They, weren't, they didn't see their need for change. I want to look at that in this story here. These two moves that they made. Now, do you see how they avoided the issue of truth? It's clear from the conversation they have with Jesus. They come to Him and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Now, what things are they talking about? Well, teaching for one. He's teaching in the temple. Matthew tells us that. And who gave Him the authority to teach? He's not ordained. He doesn't have any theology degrees. He hasn't been trained by any of their rabbis. He's not part of the official circle. So who gives you the right, Jesus, they're saying, to do what you're doing right now, teaching in the temple? This is our territory, you see. And surely they're thinking about what he had just done the day before. This is Holy Week. The day before this, you know what Jesus did? He went into the temple and he turned the money changing tables over, which would be like somebody coming in here and turning this over. Even more dramatic than that, but that would be dramatic enough. Who catch our attention. And what gives you the right to do that, Jesus? Who gives you the authority to do that? 
And in changing the, in turning over these uh, money changing tables, Jesus says, "You've turned the house of the Lord into a den of thieves and robbers. This house shall be a house of prayer for all people." And so he's critiquing the greed that's going on and the corruption that's going on in the temple. But not only that. He's also critiquing the whole sacrificial system, or at least he's calling it into question. Because the money-changing table was where the, 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 the Jewish people would come and they would bring their common currency and they would trade it in for temple currency. And they would use the temple currency to buy sacrifices for their sin. And Jacob Neusner, who's a Jewish scholar uh, who writes on Christian and Jewish relations is wrote on this scene and he said Jesus in doing this is calling into question the whole system of the daily offering of sacrifices anybody who would do this this is intricately connected to this system of daily sacrifices sacrifices that people would make for atonement for their sin and he's calling these things into question why because in just a couple of days from now He's going to offer his life on the cross and there will be no need for the sacrifice system anymore. And so Jesus in doing this, he's, he's um, taking a strong position contrary to what's happening in the temple at the time and to the religious leaders of his day. And they're saying, who gives you the right to do this? After that, crowds come to him and he heals the lame, and he heals the sick, Matthew says. And children began to say, uh, Hosanna in the highest. They began to uh, shout, Hosanna to the Son of God, which is an acclamation of praise to the Messiah. And the religious leaders don't like that either. So all these things are shocking and deeply symbolic and important, and it raises the question of Jesus' authority. And Jesus says, well, let me ask you one question. Question for question. It's a common, I guess, rabbinical way of teaching. I've told you this, this before, but a, a student asked his rabbi, why do you always answer my question with a question? And the rabbi said, what's wrong with questions? <laughs> so Jesus is acting like a rabbi here. Question for question, let me ask you a question. Where did the baptism of John come from? Was it from heaven? Was it from God? Or was it from man? Now this puts them on the horns of a dilemma. And they know it immediately. Because if they say, well, he's from heaven, which they wouldn't say, but if they were to say that, then they would have to say that everything he said was true and everything he's been saying about Jesus was true. And what John has been doing, or what John did, was point to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah. Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, John said. Behold, this is the one I baptize you in water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will immerse people into the presence and power and the reality of God. This is something the Messiah does. He's greater than I am. So if they say John is from heaven, then they have to agree with everything that John taught, and they're not going to do that. But they can't say that John's ministry is merely human because John is so popular. And Matthew tells us they, they fear the crowds. And so they huddle together. It's almost humorous. Just a minute, Jesus, we'll answer your question. Let's get together. Huddle like the family feud. You've seen that when they do that in the family feud. They got, before we answer the final question, we're going to get together. And then we'll give you our final answer. 
And the answer is very lame, isn't it? Uh, we don't know. We're not going to say. You see, they're really not, they're not dealing with the issue of truth. Is John from God or not? Is my ministry divine or not? And they've brought, they just sidestep the whole issue of truth to maintain their own position and status and authority. And I think that that goes on in our world today quite a bit. That when it comes to the issue of the truth of Christ, the truth of Christianity, or really the truth of religion, many people bracket that whole issue. And they say, well, if it, it can be true for you, and if it works for you, great, but don't go around saying it's true for me or for your neighbor because it doesn't have to do with truth. We're talking about religion here, not truth. See, people make that distinction today, don't they? Or it's arrogant for you to even say you know the truth about God. You might have a sliver of it, but nobody can claim to know the truth of God. Or science deals with truth. Science deals with facts. Religion deals with belief. Religion is taking a leap in the dark. So don't talk about truth when it comes to religion. These are currents in our culture today. And they allow people to just sidestep the whole issue of, is Jesus true? Is he the Son of God? Is he the Messiah? The Christian message, of course, is that God, out of love, has revealed his truth in Jesus Christ. And it's not something that we make up. It's something that we receive in humility. It, it, it's not a leap in the dark. God is light. And so we don't claim that because of ourselves we know the truth, but because God in His love has revealed the truth to the world in His Son, Jesus Christ. We've humbly receive it. It's a position of humility. It's a posture of humility. And there are good reasons to believe that Jesus is God's Son. His miracles, His profound teaching, His fulfilled prophecy, all the prophecies that He fulfilled of the Old Testament, and of course, the big one, the resurrection. All of these give credibility, reasons to believe that Jesus is Lord. And then many of us here in this room have experienced the presence and the power of God in Jesus Christ that kind of brings all those intellectual reasons together and makes something very powerful, very powerful strand of credibility for believing that, we, that Jesus is the Lord. He's the Messiah. So, so God has given reasons to believe if people are honestly searching for the truth. The problem is oftentimes, and not in every case, but oftentimes the problem is this. Romans 1.18, the Apostle Paul said, men suppress the truth. Did you catch that? Men suppress the truth by reason of their unrighteousness. They don't want to know the truth because of the unrighteousness in their life. Have you heard the quote from Adalys Huxley? You know who he was? He was a prominent atheist many years ago. He was, today we have Richard Dawkins. Uh, Huxley was the Richard Dawkins of his day. And he wrote this in one of his essays. Maybe you've heard this quote. He said about it, speaking about himself and his fellow atheists, he said, we didn't want the world to have meaning. 
We didn't want the world to have Christian meaning because we wanted to be free from a certain system of morality. It interfered with our sexual freedom. There was one simple method of justifying ourselves in our political and economic revolt. We could simply deny that the world had any meaning whatsoever. Now, he was being honest. I'm grateful for that. But what his point was, and he goes on to say, it's not just philosophical reasons that we have as, uh, for, for being atheists. There's a moral issue in our life, and we're not willing to live by certain standards. Men suppress the truth, the apostle says, because of their unrighteousness. But Jesus said, John 8.32, the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. True freedom is found in Jesus Christ. And this is one way that people avoid the challenge of Jesus is to avoid the question of truth. But then there's another way, and we see it here happening among the religious leaders. They didn't admit their need, their need to repent, their need to change. Jesus tells this very simple parable. I like this parable because we don't have to spend a whole lot of time trying to understand it and digging into the commentaries and, and listening to so-and-so to figure out what Jesus is saying. No, it's very simple. What do you think, he says to these religious leaders? A man had two sons. And he went to the first son and he said, Son, go work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I'm not going to do it, Dad. I've heard that. A little more subtle, my son is, but basically... <laughs> Not going to do it. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And then he went to his other son and he said the same thing. I want you to work in the vineyard today. I need some help. Okay, Dad, I'm going to do that. But he didn't. He didn't follow up. He did not go. So Jesus says to these religious leaders, which of the two did the will of his father? And they say, probably with their teeth clenched, the first Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. You could read that even instead of you if you don't repent. The worst sinners, or who you think are the worst sinners, tax collectors and prostitutes, go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. They responded to what God was doing. They responded to the call of God to change. They heard God's call to repent, and it gripped their hearts, and they responded. And they believed. And even when you, the religious leaders who say, I'm here to do the will of God, even when God was working in your midst, you turned your back. And you didn't believe. You didn't change your mind. And so you're shut out of the kingdom unless you do. There's a danger here for people like us that Jesus is pointing out. Church-going folk. The danger is we become like the religious leaders who look the part of God-fearing people. They wore the robes. They knew the prayers. They followed the rituals. Outwardly they said, yeah, we're serving God. Inwardly, they were saying, no, we don't need this. We've got it figured out. Those people, yeah, they need it, but we're okay. We're the religious leaders. We don't need to repent. 
We don't need grace anymore. Well, we, like them, can fool ourselves into thinking that sometimes. And the irony is that we can use religion to inoculate ourselves against what God wants to do in our life. The change that He wants to bring about in our life. We can use religion to do it. What was the line in this hymn? This is a really, I've never sung this hymn before. But I love the line here, all at the name of Jesus. In your hearts enthrone Him, there let Him subdue all that is not holy, all that is not true. But we can use religion to block Him from dealing with all that is not holy and all that is not true in our life. Because what we can do is we can come to church and we can say the prayers and we can give our tithes and offerings and we can be part of the fellowship groups and the Bible study and there's something in our life that's not true or holy and we think, God, I'm doing these things and we hold Him at arm's length and we're satisfied with that when He wants to deal with what's going on in here. All that is not true and all that is not holy. That's how we avoid change. We use religion as a, a barrier. Is there, something, is there something not true in your life? Something not holy? Is, are there ways in your life that you're not really aligning yourself with the truth of who Jesus is? In your mind, in your thinking. Is there something going on in your moral life that is not holy? Is there something happening in your marriage, in your family? Actually, if we take a hard look, if we let the Holy Spirit shine His light in our life, we'll see that there's some things there. That God wants to change. Not because He wants to harm us. Because He wants to make us whole. Like a good surgeon. When I started preaching, um, about the second year into it, one Sunday a man came into my office. He was a pillar of the church. He was an elder. We were Presbyterians. We had an elder. He said, I need to talk to you. I need to talk to all the elders. Just prior to that, or around this time, don't remember the timeline exactly, a woman in the congregation pointed to this man after service one day, this man and his wife, and she said, this couple is the perfect couple. They just look perfect. Their hair is, is perfect. Their clothes are pressed. We need more people like them. They're picture perfect. And this man came into my office one Sunday. He said, I need to say something to you. With trembling lips. His lips were trembling. There's something happening. Of course, I'm not going to tell you what he said. But there was something so difficult, so a sin that had gotten such a grip on him, it was destroying him on the inside and his marriage. And he said, I want you to know this is going on in my life, but I also want you to know I had a dream that God reached into me and took this black, dark thing out of me and breathed new life into me. And I believe I'm changed. But I know I have to confess this to all of you. And that was a dramatic moment. And we just prayed with him and cried with him and kept in touch about this issue in his life. Here was a man that looked like he all along he had been saying yes to God and inwardly he was saying no. There was a part of his life where he was saying, no, I'm not going to let you in there until God began to work in his life and it gave him new life when he did. And he said, yes. He said, yes. 
And so again, is there, is there something, again, we can look at our life and say, where's the place where it's not true, where it's not holy, that God wants to deal with me to change me for His glory? Align yourself with the truth of Jesus. Let Him do your work. No, that's not religion as usual. That's not the way of the world. But Jesus says it's the way into the kingdom of God. It's the way of the kingdom. Well, you're living under the reign and authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. One day, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that He's Lord. And that's a good place to be under the lordship of the King of kings. Let's pray.